Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordic podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordic region to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Josh Asquith, and I help businesses connect with top tech freelance talent. And today, I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Zara, Chandon, Valeria, and Sophia to discuss how companies can use BI and analytics in 2023. Before we delve deeper into this topic, it'd just be nice to make our way around the room and get some introductions. What I'd like to know is who you are, what you do, and something about yourself. So, uh, Zara, do you want to kick us off? Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. Um, My name is Zara, and I work in a marketing agency in Stockholm, Precise Digital. I work primarily across apps, like app as a product, app marketing, and um, I lead a team of analytics. I am also from Australia. Awesome. Thank you very much. Chandan? Hi, everyone. My name is Chandan Singh. Uh, I'm currently the head of data at Reptil. If you don't know, Reptil is a cross-border tech company, and we aim to provide uh, tech solutions for people who have crossed the border. So if you want to call your loved ones, uh, we, we make it easy. If you want to send money, we make it easy. Uh, name it. Uh, I've been working in the data data field for almost all my career, which is uh, 15 years. I started as a BI developer, and uh, then I worked uh, in a couple of architecture roles. And last couple of years, I've been doing some uh, team management and uh, yeah, uh, leading the departments as well. In my free time, I, which I don't have a lot of these days, uh, I, I spend time with my family. I have a three-month-old boy, so he keeps us, uh, both me and my wife, pretty busy. I'm from India, and I've been living in Stockholm for the past uh, five years. Right. Thank you. Valeria? Hi, Joe. Thank you for having me. I'm Valeria, and uh, currently I'm working as BI manager at Vet Family. That is a company that is helping independent veterinary clinics to focus on our beloved pets while we help them to build new solutions and get the uh, great purchasing conditions for them, like group uh, buying, so they can focus on the health of the animals. And I'm living in Stockholm since seven years now, but I am Italian. And before that, I lived in UK and I'm working in this data engineering and BI environment since almost 10 years now. Thank you. Sophia? Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. My name is Sophia. I'm the Global Insights Analytics Lead at H&M and to be more specific, H&M Beauty. So the kind of cosmetic part of the huge H&M organization. And within that role, I'm responsible mainly for three parts. It's analytics and insights, um, which can be the analysis strategy methodology, uh, but also helping actually the organization to develop analytical skills in all functions and really uh, bring the organization with strategic insights across all functions as well. The second part, uh, one of my favorite parts is the BI tools, building functioning BI tools, uh, have BI trainings in all functions and really increase the BI capabilities across and Beauty, and then lastly is customer insights, which could be anything from ad hoc querying to uh, really get a strategy around our customer insights strategy and also really ensure that our stakeholders have the right tools to what we like to call the data-driven customer strategy around across all functions. And if I'm not doing anything of those three, uh, then I really love to explore all kinds of restaurants in Stockholm so if you ever need any tips on good food in Stockholm, uh, I am the one. Thank you so much. And who doesn't need tips in good food? Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. 
We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So now that we've got to know everybody a little bit more, I know you all have your own questions that we're going to discuss. So we're going to work our way around the room and discuss the questions. However, Chandan, we're going to dis- we're going to discuss your question first. What I'd like to do is just provide uh, our guests and our listeners with a little bit of context behind why you asked this question, then the question, and then we'll open the floor for you guys to discuss. Absolutely. So uh, some background about uh, my question is uh, is how the whole BI and analytics landscape, uh, landscape has changed in the past 15 years or so uh, that I've seen. And uh, the question itself being, what does self-service analytics mean for you? in 2023 and what are some of the strategies that uh, you or we as data leaders can use to get our users there. I I can elaborate a little bit more. So uh, back in the days, creating a self-service was all about creating a sort of business layer, a semantic layer or whatever you might call it, which was nothing but necessarily a list of data items that you have somewhere on the left-hand side of uh, whatever BI tool you were using and people would drag and drop it to create their uh, cross-tab reports, which more often than not, uh, they would export to Excel and then do their magic on top of those Excel reports. But these days, that no longer suffices. Uh, the number of data items on the left-hand side of the pane has increased by quite a lot. It, uh, from being in tens and twenties, forties, fifties, maybe these days it's hundreds, two hundreds, and even then we are not covering the entire uh, breadth of the business. And at the same time, our end users and the business community has evolved and they have become more tech savvy than they were used to. So rather than just looking for the export to Excel button in their BI tool that they used to, uh, users are trying to do more. Uh, in fact, uh, we have very commonly seen people actually writing SQL queries against the data warehouse because they can't really wait for the data teams to bring data into the semantic layer, into the business model. So that's sort of what uh, led me thinking about this question, like what does self-service analytics mean in 2023? And uh, how, how do we go about it? Uh, I I think we all want to enable people having access to the right data as soon as they need it, but without having sort of a governance nightmare in, in our hands. So there you go. Yes, I find that such an interesting topic. And I believe uh, almost all companies, especially the bigger the company grows and the more mature the company grows in the tech department. But as you say, also on the business side, the more you struggle with uh, the balance here. Uh, I think one really important thing is, of course, first of all, build the foundation for, uh, let's say, the business side to even are able to, to do that. How do they have the right SQL environment to access the, the correct tables? And do we then have correct documentation of the tables? So, um, like you said, it's easy to make mistakes if you don't know what you're fetching information from. So a huge work H&M has been doing is really working on data literacy uh, and giving big uh, 
reports on what does this table mean, this is what you need to look out for, uh, common mistakes, double counts you can do when writing SQL, uh, giving courses, um, for example, get better and writing efficient SQL queries so you don't overload the database, it's a bigger thing we're all working with, I guess. And I think the positive aspect here is twofold. It's in um, one way, uh, all the pressure is not just on one department, which is expected to deliver on fantastic working functioning data sets, for example. And the other thing is also that the business users maybe feel encouraged that they can learn new skills and they're going to stay longer within the organization. Um, uh, of course, however, it comes then with the work that we have to have people that are part of this community, building super users, um, investing resources and efforts of trainings. Uh, and that is something an organization is, has to be willing to invest in. And it does sometimes take a bit of um, effort to uh, explain the, the positive value for an organization to do these investments, I, I believe. I can go next. Um, I think both of you have raised some really valid points. Previously, uh, we had multiple different roles covering different aspects. And it was all dependent on each other's roles. But now we find ourselves, a lot of the roles start blending in. So in a very recent example that I had actually yesterday was getting digital marketing specialists who are like, hey, can you share your SQL queries? So, you know, we can query the data ourselves because, you know, company-wide, we're like, let's not overwhelm the analytics team with something that's not urgent. And that means that they're now compelled to get a bit more technical and understand a bit more. But then, you know, Tandem, like you said, we run into the problem where um, we don't have good governance. We're not prepared for it. And a lot of companies are kind of pushing into training, but haven't always had the consequences of what that might mean. So inefficient queries, large data sets, increased costs. And one of the ways that I have started to kind of work with this is obviously use Confluence. But yeah, so, so we use Confluence a lot, and that means that even though we keep articles updated, not many people go onto it. Um, but we've we've started doing this test and learn environment where we've given them a sandbox environment to run, and then obviously you would start updating us if somebody went over the limit or creating um, a self, I guess not self-service, but creating a dashboard of how much does your query cost, how much is a client or our company being built for it and it works like the smaller queries are fine and sometimes i feel like we need to learn from this to kind of go like hey so we just spent 500 dollars on one of your query that you did yesterday but i think but i think it's a great way to learn and and kind of understand what the consequences are without thinking that people are likely to follow a certain path i wanted to continue what uh, zara and sophia were saying about the building the foundation of this data where they can use and also having this confluence or um, a dictionary, I would say, where we define as data team um, the demi convention of many things that often in different teams, they have slightly different flavors. So a business analyst can start to write a query to get a retrieve some data. And then another team is doing something very similar, but not exactly the same, but they don't have the tech background, uh, sorry, uh, backend information to understand why the results are slightly different. And sometimes the debug in this sense is very hard, not because they didn't write a good SQL or they didn't 
extract the correct data, but because the flavor or the outcome is slightly, slightly different. So having this, uh, as Sophia said, foundation and uh, like documentation where we name everything exactly is a very painful exercise, but so good because it will save time in debug later. And I think that it's, there are two sides. One is the painful of having everything documented, but the other one is when they can operate themselves without stressing the data team to do very basic extract, it saved a huge amount of time for the data team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a good point. I think there's a lot of possibility there, but I think there's always kind of guidance we need to give from our side. So one thing I've been working a bit more with is really appointing super users in each team who are then kind of the funnel of feedback, questions, uh, can also then maybe spend additional resources on to educate and can the education can trickle down a little bit in between teams. And usually those users are, I've also shown additional interest actually in learning new tools. So again, I think it's a good, it's a win-win. Um, in a way, uh, the organization becomes more mature. Uh, we are able to save time on heavy development skills from our side and are able to spread it out more towards the business side. And then the business side uh, is uh, motivated by learning new fantastic tools that makes their life easier. And on top of that, and that's really something I learned over the last years, they learn to express their needs in a more technical way um, or really overcoming miscommunication. This has happened for me in the beginning quite a lot. Uh, talking about rows and columns, not that is not clear for everyone actually, um, or uh, what is meant by double counting easily and uh, so yeah i find there's so much more to do but it requires a lot of work from our side in the beginning investing time in data literacy uh, governments and also building really clean data sets meaning let's say for example you build a power bi data set which you can access uh, as a live connection for example hide your old uh, measures, uh, make sure that you really give over a clean, nice view. Uh, I've uh, done mistakes like that in the future, which then caused users to use the wrong measures. That was my bad. Uh, So it does take work, but I think it's really worth it at the end of the day. Definitely. And uh, such great points, everyone. I think I'm just going to agree on most of them. And uh, especially about the point that you made, Sophia, about having uh, investment. I think that's how we need to think of this whole uh, enablement exercise, that it is an investment. And maybe it's hard for us to show exactly what the benefits are right now, but uh, we have to trust the process and push our users through it. There is one thing that I feel uh, sometimes helps in this, is trying to figure out uh, how to answer a user, uh, how to answer this question for a user. Uh, what is it? Uh, what is in it for me? So, if you have a power user, and uh, you want to really convince them to take the next step and become, uh, you know, the super user that you always want, wanted, then you sometimes need to handhold them and tell them that, hey, you know what? If you do all of this, then you don't have to do these ten manual steps that you're doing today, which saves your time, which you can do. To, uh, you, you can spend for something else, and maintaining uh, definitions uh, outside of the BI environment in the data warehouse tables, of course, needs it's an extra overhead for the development teams. And sometimes smaller teams do not have that kind of bandwidth, but we still need to emphasize that it is an investment which is going to help you 
maybe it's hard to see the benefits in the next quarter, but a couple of years down the line, when you have uh, yeah, a spaghetti of all of the data points that you have in the data warehouse, then that's the only thing that's going to tell you what is what. So for sure. Um, I was just going to add a really small point with the power users and Tim and what you just said, like the what's in it for me. I think, you know, the point that I made before in terms of like we had many different roles and that now they've become blurry. I've also seen a shift in like technical users wanting to learn more of the business side versus what, how we've seen technical users only want to be technical. And yes, they exist and the space exists, but I've seen that go more into like, oh, what am I actually querying for? You know, you'd, you'd think that um, all data analysts would be that in between, but there's people who don't fit into that bridging roles. And that's where I feel like that's where the need comes in for business users to start querying and also for technical users to then talk about, okay, well, what does this data mean? Or how have I contributed to having the right data? Or what is the final goal? And I think that starts kind of settling in with the processes that we're trying to introduce. But also, I feel like our jobs are always evolving. What they were last decade have been very different. And sometimes there are new titles coming up. Sometimes there is like new opportunities. And I think uh, that's where, I guess, in terms of like a career rewarding, that's where power users can really get into that in like a self-career driven way as well, in terms of like, I know something a little more and I've created my niche in getting to know this unfamiliar territory. Awesome. Thank you so much. And what an interesting question and discussion. Our next question is brought to us by Valeria. So Valeria, tell us what led you to this question. Tell us about the question and we'll go from there. Yes. So the question I have is basically something that I was asking myself during all this year that I'm working with data and BI. Because if the purpose of BI is still the same, so support organization with our data, help them to take the best decisions, the aspect of the BI, what is covering is changing during the years. So historically, we had, I don't know, uh, the OLAP cubes. There were these multidimensional way of build data and it was so cool. And I think we were children that time, but <laughs> still. And then we had the first self-service BI. And then 15 years ago, something like that, we start having Tableau, Power BI, and these super cool tools. And, uh, and now we are covering so many aspects in our uh, in our daily activities, there is not just integrating new sourcing and prepare reports, because right now we need to take care of so many aspects. And now we have the, um, uh, the operational part of our task that is maintaining a very solid and uh, scalable infrastructure, because right now, as soon as we start integrating a new data source, we need to think, okay, how is it going to scale? Is my infrastructure stable enough and is going to scale with the same pace as this new data source? Is it going to happen with smoothly or is it going to be painful? And also, um, we need to be sure that we are monitoring our pipelines, our microservices. This is something very new, having this uh, DevOps concept applied in BI because we want to uh, monitor that everything is going smooth because if the infrastructure is down, then we don't have data or we don't have refreshed data. So uh, stakeholders may lose trust in the data because maybe the data are not refreshed as often as they expect. 
they are showing yesterday data. Instead, they are expecting to get very almost real-time data. And so um, in my uh, my opinion, the, this is really part of the operations. But at the same time, we need to also deliver new features because we get new metrics, we get new KPIs, and we have these requirements that are so huge and we can describe them as user stories. So we need to go and steal some frameworks from the product. <laughs> and uh, and I think the BI right now is in, in the middle. And um, as a manager, I feel that it, it required a lot of work to find a balance where we could have a continuous uh, optimization and development of the infrastructure. But at the same time, we need to deliver and have very short cycle feedback from stakeholders that's super important otherwise you are working on something that suddenly realize that not exactly what was asked or the, the specification the scope has changed and you go to need to go back so agile really helps really helps also because we have um interaction with stakeholders very frequent and they feel involved and they can feel they can bring new changes more changes more easily because you don't you didn't build everything and now we have to do again from scratch that could be very time consuming so delivering small bit having this user story then you can decompose in small tasks and having this print uh, where you can show them that you are working and this is the result this is what you want helps a lot but at the same time bi is not pure product we have also to add the new sources maintain the um, the pipelines and um, I think the data ops right now it's applying super well with the BI environment and I was curious to understand how do you manage this and what is the your favorite framework and if you like me have this hybrid a mix of operation and product and uh, what is your experience with that? Yes, uh, super good point. I think this one is really, really tricky because for me it depends a little bit on the environment and also the mature the maturity of your teams you work with. Have those teams worked ever in these kind of projects before? Is it completely new? But I have to say, user stories have really worked for me um, because it's so, from a, from a business perspective, it's so obvious for in their language to explain, this is my problem, this is my everyday life. Today, I'm forced to copy-paste data from these three sources to merge them by a VLOOKUP function in another Excel to then do this. I want this automated super clear in their own words um but that's just the beginning of the user story right then when you deep dive deeper into it and you ask more questions you realize it's a, a little bit more complex than that so my um experience has been that in the beginning uh, you maybe think it's such a clear user story but the more you ask uh, the more complex suddenly the project gets and the scoping of the project suddenly became much longer so the um, agile method together with the user stories has really helped. So for me, scoping a big user story in the very beginning and breaking the tasks down into smaller sub stories, so to say, and then starting to develop in between those sub stories has really helped. And then having a bigger um, MVP rollout in between uh, and then go back. So really the, the mix between agile, user stories, sub-user stories has so far for me worked the best. Um, but that is here the environment that works here right now, if that works in all teams. I think you have to be uh, as a 
lead or team lead or project lead, you have to be yourself a bit. Um, is it flexible? What works? Get a bit of feeling of the team. Uh, how advanced are they? And then take it a bit from there. Yeah, you wear different hats, as you said. You need to take these in uh, different flavors. Yes, yes. But I totally agree with you. The user stories are a huge helping tool. Um, I was just going to add with a bit of my experience. So working in a marketing agency, a lot of times we have multiple different clients. We're very fast paced. We don't always have time for the back and forth changes. And we emphasize a lot on the starting of the project and in terms of like, let's see what you have. Involve the analytics in part of like um, your KPI frameworks, what are your business goals? And we try to meet them on the marketing level and also kind of using an education session because we have clients who are very marketing focused, but have been quite traditional in their ways when they think about data. They would think about something that's more upper funnel, but then not actually focus on what, you know, lower funnel means. And that means we start investing in a lot of education sessions on this is what your data can mean. This is what you are able to do. And then taking in, you know, having the sessions in the start before we start building something out. And then, of course, when we build it out, um, we try empowering the digital specialists in this point, at this point, who are data savvy, but they're not data analytics specialists. However, they would know what data to pull and making it easier for them to start adding it on as they work closer to the clients and the business. Um, and then on very few occasions when we have really big projects where we do have a data engineer, we sometimes lack um, the we sometimes lack the business perspective on like, okay, when is just data? What are we doing? And it kind of goes back into circles. Um, so I think in my case, it's been like, you know, what are people's expertise? What can we leverage? What can be handed over? And where is the person's time best spent? Is is a person who is who can do a lot more technical stuff best spent on creating dashboards, or can we hand that dashboard over to um, a digital specialist? And is that like growth for everybody? I think it's it's always a challenge as a manager when you think about what the client needs and what is a personal growth, and then how and what we need as a business as well to grow um, our teams, our clients, but also something that brings revenue for the business as well. So it's a, it's a hard mix, but it's a combination of different things and different styles with different people. I can just quickly jump in here uh, and say, as, as it sounds like, then you might be have a similar experience here that it very much depends on the client and on the project, which approach makes most sense. So maybe a good exercise for us, or that's what I have learned, is really scoping that for yourself first. Okay, this is a very, very complex project and I cannot make mistakes here. The iterative approach is important. So I'm not developing something. It's been a lot of resources, which uh, then might lead to not the outcome the, the business side was, able, uh, was communicating. While maybe it's a smaller development project, that's enough and we just have one scoping in the beginning and then I can go ahead and develop uh, myself. So uh, yeah, interesting to hear that from your perspective. So. I can jump in a little bit on this one as well. So first of all, great question, uh, Valeria. I think it's... Uh... It's such a great question that touches all different aspects. I, I would like to start with the organizational aspect because our roles have definitely evolved. And uh, right now in, in the data teams, we are not only taking care of those data pipelines, we are also taking care of the infrastructure. So it's a really interesting question, like where does data team really sit in the organization? Is it part of operations? Is it part of product? Uh, 
at some point of time, I've also seen uh, data teams being part of the CFO organization because, you know, finance team wanted some reports and they sponsored the project in which people would come in and then build those reports. And then eventually that uh, that report building team evolved to be the data team. So it's it's really interesting where uh, where data teams are sitting these days. And it in, in our organization, I think we, we are in the CTO organization. So we are still a little bit... Uh, together with the product, which which seems like uh, a good direction uh, for us to be in right now. Uh, then the second thing uh, that I wanted to touch upon was about the methodologies. I think one thing we can all agree on that uh, with uh, with all of those new fancy tools out there and all the advancements in tech that has uh, you know, really sped up the time of development. As a side effect, what really has happened is our stakeholders have grown even more impatient than they were you know, a few years back. So if they could have waited for, I don't know, a couple of months uh, back in the days, right now that is not even a couple of weeks. It's uh, it's a couple of days. And at some point of times, uh, you're like, hey, here's the JSON file, you know, with, with the raw data. And please go ahead and use this and build your dashboard if you want to. And it's really hard to take them through the process and really uh, do some education there. Like, yeah, data needs to be processed before we can made it, uh, make it trustworthy and for make it ready for you, you to use. And uh, data teams in general being the most downstream team there is, we have also in, in my teams and uh, organizations tried and uh, failed at taking up uh, these Scrum and uh, Kanban frameworks by the book and trying to implement them in data teams. We always uh, run into so many dependencies we scope something for the sprint, but the source system isn't ready or the data is incorrect. We have data quality issues and then we are stuck. We try to put a WIP limit on our Kanban board, but hey, you know what? There's this new data request that has come in and it's super urgent for the business and some uh, some CXO needs to take a decision based on this data. So of course you need to accommodate that and uh, change that. So I think uh, that the great point uh, that Sophia mentioned earlier about the user stories, we also work with that, but at the same time, be flexible and not not too strict in defining how exactly it is we work agile-ish, if that uh, makes any sense. I'm sure it does for all of you, at least. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's very, it's tough, actually. Uh, I think the, the toughest role I am in sometimes is the hard no, uh, which I think we all hate to say because we are here to, uh, so we are a support function of the business, right? We don't work in sales. We, in my case, I don't work in an H&M store. I'm a support function. I'm here to make sure that the business can do the absolute best in what they what they do. And of course, uh, you don't know them, want them to deny whatever they think they need to do their best. But sometimes um, I think we have to be also quite tough in saying no. Um, and what I try to work with in between the user stories is having a business sign off. So, okay, everyone, uh, we are now in the second iteration of the user story. Um, you and you and you have now agreed on X, Y, and Z. Are we all here together in this? And then I get this sign off. And to be honest, that's then, then it's uh, over. Uh, and of course, if, like you say, sometimes you have to be a bit um, flexible and you have to go back and you cannot hold on too tough on these frameworks. But there has definitely been situations where then I had to say, oh, I'm sorry, but you have signed us off a couple of weeks ago now. Going back there, would we would spend a lot of resources. Are you really sure you need it? And to be honest, often then the answer was, ah, you know what, it is actually okay. I'm sure we can live without it. 
So I think the the tough no coming from a good place is also something we in these leading functions sometimes need to do. So the we are not spending unnecessary resources, which are in the end actually then harming the business, unfortunately. But it is hard and it hurts every time I have to do it. I love this uh, about the the hard no, because it's something that sometimes is so necessary, even if there is a roadmap that is already planned, but then suddenly there is a priority because maybe a source, an external part has changed formatting and you have to intervene and you have to fix that. Otherwise, you cannot work on what you are supposed to work according to the roadmap, right? And you have to explain that to non-technical people and requires a lot, a lot of energy. Uh, as Chandel said, it's difficult to understand where the BI team is sitting because we are touching so many different teams. They are uh, working with us, interacting with us. And it's it's like it's like a lot of piece of puzzles that you have to rearrange, <laughs> and um, and so I totally agree. User story works, but there is no a framework that works for everyone. There is a hybrid version that each of us has to build, and there, and I in my experience it was really tough in the beginning to find a balance that was operational enough, but also product enough, but also uh, agile enough, and versatile enough and um, the hard no it's like a, a card that you have to keep <laughs> while you're building everything like this because you can have a sprint plan that is planned in the even small details but weird things happen and we need to suddenly say no now we know why we are we need this priority change we need to work on that and we know why and we can explain you but you have to trust us and you have to believe us and give us the freedom of changing the scope a little bit change the priorities and it's like continuously planning and continuously working yes i just wanted to jump in here uh, for one quick point and that's uh that's really related to the sign-off so sophia you had a point about the business actually signing off on the delivery once uh once the thing has been delivered. Uh, I, I feel uh, there's a sign-off that we also probably need in teams that we depend on, so our source systems, because that's where a, a lot of things break. And in that aspect, uh, one framework that we really want to try out is uh, having data contracts. It's a, it's a big thing being talked about in the data community. I've read a few articles, but we are really curious to try that out, uh, where you actually sign this data contract with your source system uh, that they will give you trusted and clean data in a timely manner and uh, be responsible for it as well. So taking away the whole uh, data being an afterthought uh, process and making data right there as a prime deliverable for those uh, software engineering tips. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm loving these discussions and I'm sure you are, are listening to this. Our next question is brought to us by Zara. Zara, do you want to explain your question to us and tell us the question? Yeah. So my question is on what is a central source of truth or what kind of source of, source of truth can we implement? Um, there's a bit of context and I'll start describing my dream scenario here. Because I work with multiple different industries, I have multiple different um, outcomes. Some of them are B2B, some of them are consumer facing. Some of them are, well, well primarily this, these two. And because I work with apps primarily, but had previously worked on web, one of the most exciting part is how much data we collect from apps. We're not limited by cookies. On media and advertising, we're limited by the HT prompt or 
you know, they're allowed to track, don't allow to track. But one of the key areas that I find a lot of people struggle when it comes to new systems or new ways of collecting data is what data do we agree on? What is the right data? What is the one data we need? Should we slow down any of the changes or changes we make based on the data we have? Or should we just, you know, accept that we might not get um, a centralized data repository where we can all agree that this is this data is okay for all of us? And this is um, where my dream scenario comes in. I love it when product and marketing teams work together. Your product changes on the consumer side are inform, inform your marketing strategies and vice versa. What is happening, for instance, in Sophia's case in retail, what brands are doing well or what products are doing well and how is that actually um, helping the marketing team to target more users? And I'd really like to hear from all of your experiences, whether you've had, whether you believe that a central repository or a central source of data is valuable, or if we can have multiple different sources of data and still all be correct within our own fields. I love this question because I get this one, I think, at least three times a week. Uh, oh, these Power BI reports, they're the same, but they uh, they show different data. What is the correct one? Yours is wrong, mine is right, and so on and so forth. Um, so I think maybe a boring answer, but I think there's not one good answer to, to this. Uh, for me, it is really a balanced in between. Uh, and that is, not, again, from an organization where I'm talking about where we have a group and then sub-functions, um, a group which is... Uh, in my case, Asian American organization, then you have sub-functions where we have sports and we have beauty and we have home and we have the fashion part, uh, which makes it a, a fantastic organization, so strong in different areas. But what does different areas means? Different requirements where you have to suddenly slice and dice the data based on these different kind of products and needs. So I truly believe that uh, in one way, we have to have one source of truth for the kind of core part of the business. So we know what we're talking about, that everyone understands kind of what's going on. But um, the reason why my role actually exists and we are not just working the central reports within the organization is we realize that it's not enough. Suddenly uh, those reports don't make sense because beauty is different. Beauty is not fashion. The central fashion reports where we talk about uh, data quality about garments, how often can you wash it? Is it bleaching out? doesn't make sense for mascaras, right? Um, and that's then when uh, the beauty comes in to be able to slice and dice uh, the truth and data and make it unique for you. But it also comes with a challenge. Uh, where I also sometimes have to say the tough no, because um, especially when it comes to visualizing uh, stuff, I think that's often when the market industry as well, marketing industry as well, everyone has their own preference. So how often does it happen that you have the same Power BI reports and they're all actually showing the same data, but maybe one has a weekly aggregation, the one has a monthly one. Uh, it's the same foundation of data. It's just slightly different. And then um, let's say they're very much end business users. In my case, maybe the, the ones working in a store, they get confused. Oh, but I don't trust this report because that shows slightly different one. And then the tech side is like, no, but it's the same source. It can't be true. Uh, or maybe a, a, a slice or a filter has been applied and they forgot to remove it, right? Happens all the time. And you get 
uh, totally understandable requests of worrying about data quality. So I think here again, we have to be a bit the, the guiding star of if we start to slice and dice data um, to be able to satisfy these unique needs, we have to be very clear in how do you use filters? Uh, how do you remove filters? Why is this report different to another one? Um, but I do get these questions a lot and I kind of I'll put it back on me and talk about education, 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 warning signs in your reports. Uh, why is this one different to that one? Have maybe an, an own dashboard that clearly explains the differences between the different reports and tabs. Um, so yeah, to answer the question, I think it's a beauty in the in-between. However, some stuff needs to be centralized, um, at least in a very big organizations, not to end up in total chaos, I believe. I'm jumping in and uh, Zara and Sophia, basically you described story of my life. <laughs> so I have this, um, this complaining about Power BI showing slightly different numbers, but as you said, is again the same the same data source, same data set, but just aggregated slightly different sometimes. But also, even in a lower step, uh, we have different sources and sometimes users can uh, query data from the two sources. Uh, one is the data warehouse and, and is the like the source of the data warehouse and they're supposed to be the same, but they are not for some reason. So one of the projects we were discussing, but family was to have a data lake that theoretically is beautiful, right? It's one source of truth. Everything is there, Every all, all the visualization tools and reporting are connected to that. But the downside of this is that it should be immutable. And we expect that the data we are storing in the data lake are going to stay like that forever. But that's not the case because then, oh, you know, the, you know what, two quarters ago, we miscalculated something. We need to run a massive update. And then you need the flexibility to have the source to change. And then you have to change the immutable, not so immutable data lake. And so we are really struggling with that right now because I don't think that one single source of truth is bad, but at the same time is so restrictive. So the balance between the flexibility of updating and changing, but at the same time to have everyone looking at the same number. So as Sophia said, I think that educating your users is one way to go and that is really is the key because otherwise i don't have a, i don't have a solution it's really you theoretically you want to have this source that everybody's looking at is the truth but we know that is not realistic we know that they're going to change something that three quarters ago something was not counted and you need to go forth and back and then the sources are design again and yeah Zara I totally feel you <laughs> completely so yeah probably educating stakeholders and trying to um, I mean of course we don't want to re-update metrics and calculation redone but happens but I mean having in mind that when I'm saving something in a data model or in data set I expect that to be correct but so even educating them that what they are providing is going to affect their whole flow, their whole results. It's a it's a huge thing, but it takes uh, takes time and a lot of patience. I think we are all saying the same thing uh, in different words. Uh, so just adding to that, uh, again, I think communication is key. So uh, when we when we put out something out for end users to use, uh, we need to make sure that they understand the definition of what exactly that the data point is. 
but coming back to the original question about having a single source of source of truth, it's definitely more complex than having a, a yes or no answer to it. The KPIs, in my opinion, of course they they cannot be the same for everybody. You know, for something something very simplistic like active users might mean something completely different for a finance or a marketing team as opposed to what it means for a product manager or product owner for 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 that matter. But uh, core things that are at the foundation of your business, like core business concepts, like what exactly is an order or what is a product? Uh, I mean, the product is still going to be the same thing, yeah, irrespective of uh, whether it's uh, it's some garment or if it's the mascara, it's still going to be the product. But when we know that uh, this is a core business concept, then I think having a single source of truth for those is especially important. And organizations, I think this is uh, a little bit beyond the typical data and analytic teams that we we are a part of. I think it, this needs to be a larger initiative, uh, something of a master data management world where the company really, or everybody in the company sits down and agrees that, hey, this is going to be the source of where we are going to define our products. And then we use it across and then you are free to interpret it based on your, your local definition. But uh, this is how we are going to configure it and make it available. And uh, when the CEO communicates to the press, then that's something completely different from how the marketing and finance teams and uh, you know the product teams are talking about uh, about things. So I think that's uh, that's definitely uh, makes sense to have that single source of truth from that aspect. One thing that I would like to go back is to the data lake concept, irrespective of if we have the single source or multiple source. I'm a big uh, supporter of having all of that data, at least in the same technical platform. It uh, it needs to be at the same place so that we can customize our analysis from a consumption perspective when we, we are running queries, when we are processing, uh, building data pipelines. But uh, it, uh, having multiple copies of the data warehouse itself in different departments, I think that's uh, that's a place nobody, nobody wants to go. No, exactly. Uh, in my case, we have one single data warehouse but um, stakeholders can retrieve data from the sources that populate the data warehouse. And that's why we want to have this data lake that instead has everything centralized there and it should be the data warehouse, basically. And But at the same time, the concept of data lake <laughs> should imply more uh, immutable immuti- immuti- ah, data from the state as they are. They are immut- immutable. And uh, in reality, we change the past even too often. So um, that's the other thing. And sometimes uh, having to re-update all the aggregated data in a data warehouse takes more time than to them just go and have a quick sneak peek into the source that got just freshly updated. That's something that I don't like, but that's save times. I understand that. Saves a lot of time to them. Awesome. Thank you very much. And last but not least, we have our question from Sophia. Sophia, tell us about your question. Tell us your question. Thank you so much. Uh, Very exciting. Now I feel a bit intimidated about all these amazing questions. Uh, But yeah, here we go. Uh, So one thing which I'm really, really passionate about and something I challenge uh, myself and my colleagues and almost every single day is about how do we take data and insights in different kind of environments and aspects and turn those into operational changes, operational excellence. And what I mean with that is that I believe most companies uh, by now are fantastic and really collecting data. Collecting data is not the problem anymore. 
um, storing data maybe, um, but collecting data is not the problem. Um, I think we also have gotten really good in uh, querying data, making sense of it, structure it. Uh, but then comes the next really, really hard part. Now we have all this data, we have it there, we have it available, but what do we do with it? Uh, what can we what can we drive with that? Uh, I get a lot of fantastic, uh, nice to know questions on a daily basis. Uh, how old is our customer? Um, what do they do? Do they like our products? And I can query every single day and I can do that all day long. But the question is like, what do we do with the answer then? Can we really drive big changes? Um, and I would love to hear your perspective on that. I can go first. Um, I was just going to start with saying I'm a massive fan of experimentation. I absolutely feel like in order for us to succeed, we must be open to learning and failing and learning again. And also, I think, you know, since I've been a manager, I've, I really enjoy it when I have new ideas come in. And they only spur out with all those curiosity moments of looking at data that might not result in actions, but it does spur new ideas. When when I started being specific role, I saw all the tables that were customized. They're like, oh, here's a template, use this, create this, do it for all your clients, whatnot. And then I realized that we were missing one massive thing after we'd laid out a structure of like, this is the useful data. We kind of didn't look at what other data points could be useful. And yes, it was time consuming to even think about it or start experimenting or not motivating because it didn't actually result in something actionable. But what happened in the time of Black Friday was we have all this dashboards created. Great. So we don't have to do anything for Black Friday. However, because we work with retail clients, Black Friday being a really huge thing, we're looking at the what are some advanced analytical models that we can potentially build to automate what we do? So propensity models, for instance, um, what are the different data points that we can kind of look at to find patterns and start employing more of the data science techniques to see if, if we automate this, can we one, make it scalable? And two, is it giving us any insights that we can use based on our business goals or our campaign goals or product goals, for instance. So while, I, while I'm a big champion of like, yeah, go look at all the data points you have. It might not be actionable, but can we find patterns? And can we try to find patterns? And if we don't, let's abandon it. Let's try something new. Or let's create a hypothesis that fits into what we would like to see. Let's prove it false or wrong when it comes to experimentation. And then really just, uh, I think, empowering individuals, especially young analysts, to recommend changes and not just go like, oh, here's the dashboard I've built, um, or here's the data you asked for, but to actually go like, oh, I actually think that you could correlate this with that, um, with this data point to another data point, and maybe that can actually be actionable, or maybe you tried, you failed, okay, well, it's not. And the staying focused part, I think that's so important, um, but I, I do like that when we have the summer periods, I can stock on people away for six weeks that's when I'm like okay everybody experiment do what you like let me know if you find something let me know if you've learned something and then get back to that we can start looking at scaling it um I think it's a it's a two-way answer and I think that's what we've had for most questions like I am very open to experimenting but I also want to kind of um be open to how we can automate a lot of these experimentations so that we're still looking at something that could be used to make actions or decisions. 
I want to jump in. And first, Sophia, I love these questions because right now we have so much data. We are storing so much information. And maybe our concern right now is could be like GDPR. I have to obfuscate this, do not store this. But the rest, it's there, sitting there. as not used. And what happened is that sometimes I feel that data team has to wear this hat of evangelist and go, as Zara said, and explain automation to our stakeholders and also having them to understand what we currently have and what is possible to do. I remember uh, like last year we did this demo with some machine learning automation that was making like a two, three weeks work, few seconds. And really, we open a world for stakeholders. But if they don't know that it's doable, and if they don't know that we have the data or it's possible to retrieve them, they don't ask. And they keep doing what it was the old way to do the things because all this worked. This is okay for me, but you can have much more and you can have it way faster and way more granularity in that. But you need to evangelize them and explain what you have and what you can do with what you have. And it's not easy because you also need to uh, to get the right input to provide the right uh, information for the business, right? Because you can do machine learning or analysis on anything, literally. But you need to also pick the right segment that is really helpful. And it's a lot of interaction, I think, between us and the non-technical people in, uh, in a way they are aware of the potential and they can start to think or of the KPIs in a even bigger way so they can add things that they maybe desire in their dreams but they didn't know they are possible and yeah and so i think automation is one huge thing because so many times it's not clear for them that a very painful task it can be solved literally via script so easily so quickly and then you can do your job in a more happy way and some other times you may are able to in, uh, ingest more data or maybe you are already doing but they don't know and so this, there are these these data they are in the darkness i'd say they sit there they are ready to be taken in and used but maybe they are not relevant i don't know but they have to decide so it's it's like um playing with the ball like you pass the ball they pass it back and then you get the the um, the feedback and they understand what is possible. And yes, again, it's uh, it's an interesting topic that you brought in. Really very interesting. So uh, to start off, I'll, I'll do a plus one on uh, Zara's comment about experimentation. It's such a great idea, you know, just to have some time. I mean, we usually don't have the luxury of having time or resources to do experimentation, but a summer period in Stockholm uh, or in Sweden in general. Is, is a great time to do some some sort of uh, experimentation. And then, of course, you could force these hack days or, uh, you know, this day of the, every second Tuesday of the month, we do we do a creative day or something like that. But going back to the original question itself about uh, turning data into operational excellence, I see this also as a little bit of uh, a collaboration challenge because uh, we are data, or like we, we are data people. We know how to work with data. We know how to best process the data, read uh, a dashboard with the best practices and everything. But at the same time, how to make the best use of that data and that insight in the business is not up to us. And we don't we don't know that. And I think uh, we are also humble enough to acknowledge that, that we as data leaders, we don't know how to build the best product 
it's uh, it's the product manager in, in our fantastic companies that know how to do that. We don't know how to run a great operations, uh, you know, process. It's it's the CIO and their department uh, that probably knows more than that. So I think it's uh, also working together with them to understand really what it is that they are trying to do and understand their problems a little bit. One technique that uh, one of my agile coaches used to use was asking five whys. So uh, somebody comes to you with a request and they're like, okay, but why do you need it? And then they give you a response. Oh, but because I need to know this. Okay, but why do you need to know this? And then you're like, yeah, I need to do this so that I can do that. Okay, but why do you need to do that? And then you realize that, hey, you know what? Uh, there is no longer a good answer after the third time you have asked that question. And then they'll be like, ah, never mind. I thought it was more important than it actually was. So yeah, there you go. It's it's okay. Don't don't worry about it. And uh, yeah, uh, I was gonna say something else, but uh, now I lost it. But uh, those are my two cents on uh, on this one. No, but the, the really good points on all of you. And one thing where I found my own little new passion in is actually shadowing the business to overcome that. So instead of expecting the business to understand me, uh, this is data, this is how Power BI works. I said with the business, um, I'm trying to be close to them to understand okay, these are the kind of insights that could change their operational uh, behavior on a daily basis. Now I understand why they're asking these questions or where there's potential. And the, 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 the big thing here, which I often really realize is that they have a hard time to um, express their needs. You don't know what you don't know, really, right? It's, it's really the problem. Um, so me shadowing and really going very much into the core business side has helped me so much to um, really start to build insights uh, and data and dashboards that are then leading to everyday changes uh, and that then actually leading to um, to the core business and increase value and so on. Uh, and that's something I can maybe a nice wrap up of that talk today. I don't know. But uh, sometimes I think in other data environments, I think we had a bit this uh, expectations that business has to learn tech, but tech very much has to learn business as well. And shadowing business can be such a fun experience. And I had uh, the best time doing so in the past. Love it. So like, love it. <laughs> I think I will start to do as you're doing, shadowing the business. Thank you for the inspiration. Well, thank you very much. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. If you're hiring for new technical roles or if you're looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, drop me a message. I'm Josh Asquith and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at joshua.asquith, that's A-S-Q-U-I-T-H, at evolution-nordics.com. Alternatively, visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash SE. Thanks again to all of our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.